Welcome to College Hoops Chat. How are you tonight? My name is Jim Maceno. I am the host of College Hoops Chat. This is your weekly college basketball radio show here on WVOX. 1460 AM in the great city of New Rochelle, New York. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I greatly appreciate it. And of course, we recognize today it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, that uh, all-time great American that made such a difference for so many people, not only in the United States, but around the world. We honor him today. All right, we have excellent guests. Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated also does a podcast called CBB Central. I'm um, looking forward to talking to Kevin. I've been interacting with him for a few years on Twitter, so it'll be nice to chat with him. Kevin Long will be calling at 8.30. He's a Twitter friend from Texas involved in sports and radio, and we're going to talk a little Baylor, Texas Tech, and Houston. Really great teams we don't talk about a lot on this show, and we should. So we have uh, Kevin Long going to talk about basketball in the great state of Texas. Of course, Kenny from Rye will be calling up, although apparently today it's Kenny from Chicago. And our last caller today will be Patrick Madden from the Big, Big East blog. We call Patrick our Big East expert on the show. So we got a lot to talk about. Let's jump into it. We always start with our local hometown team, the Iona College Gales. So Iona wins three in a row, folks. But tomorrow is one of their biggest games of the season. Tomorrow at 7 p.m., they play Monmouth on ESPN+. Plus. Too bad it's not on cable TV. I wish it was. So Monmouth is probably the second best team in the MAC, although that's getting a little more debatable because they just lost three in a row. I don't know what happened to Monmouth because they were 10 and 2 playing really well. But Ken Palm, as you know, a ranking that I use that ranks all 358 college basketball teams, still has Monmouth at 131, Iona at 79. Ken Palm gives Iona a 55% chance of victory. I point this out because that means it may be the closest game Iona has left for the season. Of course, that won't work out that way. But on paper, Monmouth is the closest team versus Iona, and Monmouth will be at home. They're 10-5 and five now. Not sure how they lost three in a row, but whatever. We'll see tomorrow night. But by the way, if you're Monmouth and you want to bounce back after losing to Hofstra, St. Peter's, and Marist, uh, including getting crushed by Maris, 84-48. Uh, what a great way to end the streak, but to beat the number one team in the MAC, Iona. So Monmouth will be ready to go tomorrow night. Should be a great game. Tune in. And by the way, big rumors out there that Monmouth is leaving the MAC, going to the Colonial Conference. Very disappointing. Monmouth's a, a strong program that's made the MAC Conference better. Be a shame if they leave. All right, I only had three games this week. Let's start. We'll go backwards. Sunday, they beat Niagara 78-55. Trust me, the game wasn't that much of a blowout. I was there. Uh, Gales remain unbeaten in the MAC, though, and they're 14-3 overall. By the way, the players have told me that their goal is to be unbeaten in the MAC this year. Uh, excellent goal. So the office offense wasn't so impressive Sunday afternoon against Niagara. It was very impressive on Friday night against Manhattan. We'll get to that. But they still got the win. I know Iona was only up by six with nine minutes and 50 seconds to go. So, but they got a big lift off the bench from Osborne Shima, the seven-footer. That was great to see. And also, they got a nice lift from Ryan Myers, who came in and gave some instant offense off the bench. A complete game for Barrick John-Louis. Ten points, seven rebounds, four assists, and he's their best defender. Great game for him. 
And Tyson Jolly led Iona with 17 points. Nelly Josephs with 15 points. Although I do point out they started very sluggishly on Sunday. But it was an afternoon game and after Saturday night. So these are still college kids. All right. Friday night. Big game. Rivalry game. Manhattan. Iona wins 88-76. to Iona was up by 20, though, in that game. Uh, they missed a lot of free throws to make it close. But Rick Pitino was not happy in the press conference despite the big win against his former assistant coach and player, Maciello, um, he was not, he was happy about the offensive performance. Iona was very, very crisp. He was ex- upset about the free throw shooting over the past three games. He said since classes haven't started, they can live in the gym and practice free throws. Iona's only shooting 69.5% from the line this year. That ranks them 225 in the nation. That's not good enough. Uh, as a comparison, Villanova, a top team, shoots 81% from the free throw line. We all know bad free throw shooting can cost you a game in March. Here's some quotes from Rick Pitino on Friday night after beating Manhattan, where he wasn't in a great mood despite getting a big win. I don't think we're playing great basketball right now, and that bothers me. And we're certainly not happy with the way we shot free throws tonight. What I told them in the locker room was, I didn't come to Iona for mediocrity. I came for greatness. Good. Keep driving them, coach. That's the way it should be. Uh, the fans certainly want you to keep pushing the team not to be mediocre, even when you're way ahead of Manhattan. Uh, you got to make your free throws, and you got to play better down the stretch. Good job. I will note that um, Iona had 23 assists in that game. That's a lot. And they made 30 field goals and went over Manhattan. Uh, that was a That's a really strong offensive performance. The offense was very crisp on, on Friday against Manhattan. Now, remember, I said they had three games this week. So last Tuesday, they barely beat Fairfield in a 2 p.m. afternoon kind of strange Tuesday game. It wasn't easy. Stags played well. They were up by 11 with 10 minutes to go. But Iona, Iona battled back. Tyson Jolly hit a layup with 43 seconds left. Iona added three more points from the free throw line. It was a really tough kind of win. You got to get on the road in your conference. And Iona got it. So good stuff. All right. So Iona beat Fairfield. So I don't know, three wins this week. Very happy with the home team. All right, two other teams I would like to talk about, and that is University of North Carolina. I'm a fan, as you all know. They had a very nice win on Saturday over Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's uh, an average team in a down ACC. But what I liked was that Hubert Davis, their brand new coach, has the team improving. Every time I watch North Carolina, they're getting better. So keep an eye on them. Uh, Armando Baycott's now a top player in the nation. They had twice as many assists than Georgia Tech, which means they were moving the ball well. They hit 90% of their free throws. They won in rebounds 42-26. to 26. I have to tell you, I think the Tar Heels can win the ACC. Don't be so sure that Duke's got it wrapped up already. I keep reading that in the media. And yesterday, St. John's Red Storm, another team we cover here, they played well. 88-69 to 69 win over Georgetown. Georgetown is probably... Uh, the weakest team in the Big East. But still, they have good players. I, what I noticed with St. John's yesterday, the transfers seemed to be better adapting the Coach Anderson system, especially Mathis and Wheeler. But the core three, the core three players, uh, Champagny, Alexander, and Aduwaso were great. The role players that came in as transfers looked really good. So a nice win for St. John's. But... St. John still needs to get a Q1 win. That is the top wins you can get when you're getting looked at to go to the NCAA tournament. St. John still doesn't have one of them. 
okay? And that really distresses me. Uh, here we are uh, in the towards getting towards the end of January, and St. John still doesn't have a big win. Chuck, do we have our caller? We do. All right, so I'm going to go to the phone line now and say hello to somebody I know through Twitter. First time we're ever chatting. Kevin Sweeney, welcome to College Hoops Chat. Well, I appreciate you having me on. We've talked a little over the years on Twitter. I follow you. You're a great tweeter, by the way, because you have you do college basketball all day long. Is it a full-time job for you covering college basketball? It is, uh, thankfully, yeah. I, I started when I was 16, when I was still in high school, and uh, built my following while I was at, uh, in college at Northwestern. Uh, unfortunately, when I graduated uh, last June, Sports Illustrated offered me a full-time job uh, covering college hoops. So it's been, uh, it's been great. It allows me to dive in even deeper than I already was. Uh, which I didn't think was possible, but uh, it is, and uh, it is truly the best job in the world. So I saw when you got that job offer, and I gave you a congratulations offer on Twitter because I thought that was great. This was your passion, and you and you got a full-time offer from a respected uh, sports institution like Sports Illustrated. So uh, I still follow you and keep up the good work. How about that? I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Kevin, let's get into college basketball. If, you, if I can, I want to start on the top 25 that just got released. Uh, Gonzaga is number one again. So here's what I have to say about Gonzaga, Kevin. I watched them play BYU the other night. I don't know if you watched it. It was a late game. They won 110 to 84. They had 100 points with seven minutes to go. I, I joked to some of my friends on Friday when I called them about basketball. I said, when you watch Gonzaga, when they execute their offense, the way they, 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 they can and the way it's designed under Mark View. It's like going to the ballet. It's not like a rugged Big East game where they're killing each other. It's a beautiful uh, offensive display. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, three straight games now in WCC play where they scored 110 or more, which is just, you know, preposterous. And obviously, you know, Pepperdine and Santa Clara aren't elite teams. But BYU, I mean, is an NCAA tournament team. That's a, that's a talented club. Um, they just won on the road at San Francisco this weekend. So, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, what they did, what Gonzaga did in that game was really, really impressive. And, look, I saw them in Las Vegas uh, in November for Gonzaga and UCLA, and, you know, it was a similar deal. I mean, obviously, they didn't put up 110 points, but, you know, it just felt like every possession on the floor, they were going to get a good shot because of the way they share the basketball, the way that they cut, uh, their unselfishness, but also their skill and their ability to shoot the basketball – combined with their interior presence with Timmy and, and obviously Chet Holmgren as well. I mean, they're as explosive as they they come offensively. They're so well-disciplined and well-tooled. And I think, you know, the last month or so, the schedule's been lighter and it's given them an opportunity to work on some things um, offensively to get even better. And I think that's certainly scary, scary for the rest of the country. I agree. Now that they're number one in the AP, I imagine they're going to keep themselves number one in the AP because uh, I think they're going to dominate the WCC. I guess you think the same? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a chance maybe a San Francisco or, or, or a BYU would pick them off or St. Mary's, but, like, BYU's made probably the second best team in the league, and they just beat them by 26. So it would not surprise me at all. Get that goes undefeated once again. Exactly. Okay, let's talk about the former national champ who beat Gonzaga last year in the finals, but they lost three stars to the uh, uh, pros, and... Uh, but they come out and they go 15-0. and Those are the Baylor Bears. Uh, they really were on the roll. They were number one in the AP poll, but they fell out because they lost two in a row, surprisingly at home, right, to Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. Um, what are you thinking about Baylor? 
Yeah, I mean, the the concern level isn't super, super high. I'm a little concerned, honestly, with their, their defense, which is a weird thing to say, given that they're, I think, a top 15 defense in the country on Ken Palm, and they're athletic and, 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 and tough and everything you want in the defense. But they haven't defended the rim very well in conference play, and that doesn't really make sense given their roster construction. So, you know, I'm tracking that. I think the biggest thing with them was last year they had elite guards, and this year I'm not sure that their guards are elite. I think they have really good guards with the Kinjo, obviously, uh, Adam Flagler, who was on that team last year, and then L.J. Cryer, who's made a big step as a shooter. Um, but they don't have you know an NBA guy in the backcourt. I think when you're looking at teams to try to win a national championship, you want one guy in the backcourt that you really, really trust. I'm not sure Baylor has that, but they have a tremendous coach. They're athletic in every position. They're more athletic this year than they were last year. Um, and, and they have you know, experienced guys up front. Uh, who've been through the wars. They've got talented freshmen. I mean, they've, they've got everything you want in a potential national title contender. So the concern isn't isn't high after this past week. I think it's just inevitable with the Big 12 and how challenging it is and how physical it is that you're going to have ups and downs. It's just kind of a reminder that of how good Baylor's been the last couple of seasons that two losses in a week feels like the sky is falling. Yeah, I agree with you totally. I think they'll be fine. I think uh, they'll get back on the winning track. They'll lose a few games here and there. Uh, in the Big 12, that's going to happen. Um, one thing I, I, I noticed, I've watched a couple of Baylor games now, the two freshmen, Kendall Brown and I think Jeremy Sochan, they seem to be adapting very quickly to be part of the rotation. Absolutely. Uh, Sohan is banged up. Uh, they, expect, they expect to get him back pretty soon. Um, but I think that was just a great example of when you recruit elite talent, also recruiting guys who are great fits for your system, right? Kendall Brown would not be Kendall Brown in other systems, he's not a great shooter, but he's a really unique player because he really wants to defend. He's super athletic. He loves attacking the rim. He can handle the ball. He, he's a super unique style of player. And, you know, at Baylor, that style is perfect because he's a monster in their defense with the way that they swarm around and you know, keep you away from the middle of the floor. He's a monster in transition. We know Baylor loves to get out and run. He wouldn't be as good anywhere else. And I think Sohan, similarly, I mean, he's a six nine freak athlete who can – you know, stretch the floor. He can defend at a high level and defend multiple positions. I mean, these are guys that are great fits for, for a Scott Drew team, and I think Scott's done a great job of identifying those guys in, in recruiting and, you know, investing resources in them to go get them, right? And, and in the past, that has sometimes been transfers. Sometimes it's been under-the-radar kids. Sometimes it's been five-stars. And, and with, with Brown and Sohan, you have a good mix. Brown was a, a five-star recruit. Sohan was under-the-radar for much of his recruitment. Baylor jumped in, and a lot of others did with them. Uh, and I think everyone else is probably upset they didn't jump in sooner because he's especially probably a first round pick. I agree. So the one of the common factors on the first two teams we talked about, fabulous coaches. Mark Few, um, Scott Drew, fabulous coaches, right? Uh, so let's go to another team that I think their coach is doing a terrific job too on that level, and that's Bruce Pearl down at Auburn. I follow the SEC more because my son attends the University of South Carolina, but we're not going to discuss that team because they're not doing well. But Auburn's really great. I mean, I could see them as a Final Four team. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, their front court's the best in college basketball with Walker Kessler, who's this unbelievable rim protector, and then Jabari Smith, who you think is going to be the number one overall pick in the draft. He's maybe you know one of the best shooters in the country, but he can do more than that at six foot ten. I mean, he's a well-rounded star, and I think the biggest thing that they were questioning coming into the season was their point guard play. They've gotten really good point guard play from from the sophomore Wendell Green, who transferred into Eastern Kentucky. And Bruce Pearl, you know, in October was telling people, "Look, I got to see what I have in Wendell Green, and if if we have something special, we're going to be pretty darn good." And 
I think it's obvious, especially after the Alabama game last week when Green really exploded in the second half, that they've got something special in Green and they've got something special with the Tiger team. I agree. Uh, when I watched Auburn now two, three times, it jumped out at me that Green's better than I think people expected. Uh, and that's a key, you know, they needed a point guard to run that offense. And uh, Auburn looks really good. I want to see them, you know, get through the rest of the season. I want to see them in the SEC tournament. I think Kentucky's making a move when Wheeler's fully healthy at the point guard position. I think Kentucky could beat Auburn in the SEC tournament. Uh, but um, Auburn can certainly be a team that goes uh, past the first week in its NCAA tournament. We both agree, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, I think they have Final Four count, without a doubt. Okay, next, I want to talk about today's game. You watched it, I know, because I followed you on Twitter, and I watched it as well, although I watched it later. I didn't watch it live. But great performance, I thought, for Purdue to go into that hostile environment and get that win on the road against Illinois, who played very well today, uh, I thought. And um, an impressive win for Purdue, but also, I think... Uh, Corbello coming back and playing so well in his first game back from injury was a great sign for Illinois. So I think both of these teams, when you watch that game, you say these are two teams that are going to make it to the second week of the NCAA tournament. Did you have that feeling too? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually supposed to go to this game. Unfortunately, I was in car trouble. Couldn't make it down from Chicago down to Champaign. Um, but I was also at the uh, Arizona-Illinois game in December, and boy, did that place get rocking. I mean, what a special atmosphere for college basketball. It seemed like today was, was, was very much the same. You know, I, think, I think both teams are really good. I still think Purdue is the best team in the Big Ten. I believe that coming today, today, I think solidified that because they won despite Travion Williams not shooting the ball great. They won despite Jaden Ivey not shooting the ball great. I think it's a great sign for them. And they defended, I think, better than we've seen them defend for uh, really, I would say the majority of the season. I think that those are all really positive signs for Purdue. Uh, and I think on the Illinois side, obviously getting Curbelo back is, is tremendously important. You know, he's a guy who, um, you know, they were trying to figure out how they were going to use him again once they got him back because this Frazier and Alfonso Plummer backcourt that they were using once Curbelo went down was really, you know, magic for them. It, it fixed a lot of the issues they were having in the early season with turnovers, with lack of shooting. It solved all their problems. So you saw them go much smaller today. At times, playing all three guys together, none of them are over six foot two. None of them are over 180 pounds. It's a smaller group, but Curbelo is too talented to keep off the floor when he's playing at a high level, and he certainly played at a high level today. Kobe Coburn neutralized by Zach Eady and Travion Williams at the front. That doesn't happen very often. I think once when when you get big games from Kofi, like they will pretty much every other night, Illinois can be really tough to beat. I will just say this about Purdue: they're loaded with talent. They go ten deep. And what I, why, why I think they're going to be strong in the NCAA tournament is they can beat you different ways. They, they're not like uh, a team that only kind of plays one way. They can get the ball down low if they need to to their two big centers that remarkably both play 20 minutes. They play 40 minutes for most teams. Uh, but, they, you know, you got, um, you got um, uh, so many players on that team that they can shoot the three. They can drive in, uh, in the lane. They've got big guys down low. Purdue can beat you a bunch of ways. Yeah, I mean, a thousand percent. You know, they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. Uh, and then you add in the fact that they have maybe the most unstoppable player in the country, Edie, when he gets going on the block. And, you know, a lottery pick in Ivy and experienced guy in Trayvon Williams, who was an All-American. I mean, it's just, it's an embarrassment of riches for Matt Painter. And he's done a great job of getting everyone to buy in, right? I mean, Trayvon Williams could be an All-American. He's coming off the bench. I mean, how many teams... Can you get that level of buy-in? Not many. I think that's a big credit to Matt Painter and also to Trevion Williams for accepting that role. 
Uh, I agree. Totally agree. Well-coached. Another well-coached team, disciplined team. They look really good. All right, I got a question for you. I am a fan of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Been so for several decades. Every time I read people in the national media, they kind of feeling like Duke is going to win the ACC and case closed. I'm starting to see the Tar Heels play a little better. They're improving. I watch every game. Uh, what's your take there? Does, can UNC uh, give Duke a race for the ACC? Man, it's challenging. I think, I think Duke, at its best, is so, so clearly ahead of everyone in the ACC. And I, I would argue Duke, at its best, might be the best team in the country. I mean, they have five potential first-round picks. They're loaded talent with talent. You know, they've played some really high-level ball games in the game against Gonzaga, certainly. Uh, I think the thing with North Carolina is every single time it feels like they're turning the corner, they have a defensive letdown, right? And I think we saw that. It felt like things were starting to turn in the right direction after two good defensive outings. And then they turn around against Notre Dame and get torched, right? So now we've had two straight, you know, excellent defensive outings against Virginia and Georgia Tech. How do they respond tomorrow against Miami, a team that can really score? Do they get torched or do they, you know, consolidate that work and continue to prove they're, they're on the right track and that end of the floor? You but if you have Baycott down low, he's fantastic. Love can score. If they defend, they're going to be a tough team to beat. I agree. And it's too bad I'm not talking tomorrow because I think we had the Miami game. As to consider, we know them a little better. I agree with you. All right, one last question because we're getting close to the end of our time. Uh, give me a team that nobody's talking about that's going to make a run in the NCAA tournament. They're not one of the, you know, they're not a top five to ten team right now, but no one's talking about them. But you're 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 saying to yourself, this team has uh, enough to make a run. That's that's a challenging question. I think the world has kind of forgotten about. UCLA, right? And in the last, like, they, they went on COVID pause for a month, and then they come back, they lose to Oregon, and it's like, okay, you know, you forget about UCLA. I mean, this team is still right there, right? I think, with, with the talent level and the experience of last year's run. I, I like this team still. I'm not, not, not selling my stock. I think one other team I'd, be, I'd say right in my backyard, Loyola Chicago. Obviously, they've been there before. These guys are just as good as they were last year. They play a different way. They're much more, you know, up-tempo. They love to shoot threes. They've got some big-time shooters and some big-time experienced kids who will win you some games in March. So you know who I'm wondering about? I'm wondering about Oregon. They're starting to play really well. They had a good team on paper when I was taking a look in the preseason. Maybe Oregon makes a run. Absolutely. I mean, Dana Ullman always does this, it seems like. They start slow. You say, oh, right off Oregon. And all of a sudden, they're, you know, they're, their guards start playing well. They've got experienced dudes who can really play. I mean, this team was way too talented to start as poorly as they did. I agree. All right. So listen, you were great. Thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, let's keep in touch and maybe we can talk again some, another time on Kyle Troop's chat. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. All right, folks. That was Kevin Sweeney. Did a great job. We're going to the commercial break. We'll be back talking about the state of Texas and their top teams. We'll be right back. Jim Mazzano here. Okay, folks, we are back on College Hoops Chat. Thank you for tuning in and being with us here on WVOX, 1460 AM, my favorite radio station. All right, on the line is a friend of mine from Twitter, Kevin Long. Kevin, are you there? I am present and accounted for. Well, I'm so glad we got to do this. We've chatted over the years about both college football and college basketball on Twitter, and um, I know that you know... 
Texas sports better than most. And I, I contacted you today and said, can we talk some Texas college basketball? And you said, yes, so that's great. Because right now, the state of Texas, uh, college basketball is really thriving. You know, we always had the Longhorns as kind of the top team down in Texas. But now you have Baylor winning the national championship, right? You have Texas Tech a few years ago going to the Final Four. You have Houston went to the Final Four last year. Uh, North Texas got that big upset last year. Texas A&M has a great coach. They're getting a little better. College basketball is kind of hot in the state of Texas. Uh, I know it's a football state. Are they talking about it, Kevin? Oh, absolutely. You know, the four teams are ranked in the top 25 from Texas. So, you know, it's a great football state in the fall. Come winter, there are plenty of people who care about basketball. Well, they certainly should. Right after Baylor last year wins the national championship, um, and really a historic team as far as I'm concerned. It's, you know, I, I've been watching college basketball since the 70s, and that was one of the great performances in the national championship finals I've ever seen, the team, because Gonzaga's a great team. They, they played fabulous to beat a great team. So Baylor program has a coach named Scott Drew who's really emerged, right, as one of the top coaches in the country. I believe you've interviewed, interviewed him. Tell us about Scott. Well, he's a really good guy. Now, he's been there 17 years. So, you know, he's not exactly new. But, I mean, you know, he came in and father's a coach on a college level, too. And he's just slowly started building that place to the point where it's an absolute monster right now. And, you know, they're, they're good again this year, and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. So, you know, they've got a lot of excitement down there in Waco about this team. They sure do. So they were 15-0. Lost two in a, in a row this week, but, you know, to strong teams, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. Um, they got a lot of players, uh, 10 players in their rotation. I am I, I think Baylor's going to be fine despite the two losses. They're still number five in the country. But I want to talk about Texas Tech because that's a team I don't think people know about. I think you do. They lost their top coach, Chris Beard. Everybody had their doubts. They felt sorry for Texas Tech. And here they are, 13-4, and four, after just beating in a row – Kansas, Baylor, and Oklahoma State, although they had an odd loss this weekend to Kansas State. Uh, they have a new coach who I think is a friend of yours, Mark Adams. Everybody's so impressed with the work he's doing. Tell us about Texas Tech. Well, I'll tell you what. You say Texas Tech lost their coach. Texas Tech will tell you, no, no, we kept our coach. Another guy went another place. Mark Adams was our coach. But, you know, as I showed you on my Facebook page, Mark Adams and I go back to 1981 when he was the coach of Clarendon Junior College, and they were playing Amarillo College, and I did my first game of play-by-play that night, and I met Mark Adams, and they lost by 20, and I said to him after the game, and he still remembers me saying this, I said, Coach, listen, you guys are well-coached. Your team played hard. You're going to be okay. Well, about two months later, Amarillo College is undefeated. Uh, they, they were like 23-24-0, ranked in the top five in the country, and Clarendon pulled a major upset. And I knew right then and there, Mark Adams had a future in coaching. But the reason I'm just so elated at his success this year, I have seen Mark Adams kick around forever in what I'll call maybe backwater places, but I'm not meaning to be derogatory. I'm talking about schools with limited budgets. You know, Clarendon College, and he goes down to Wayland Baptist, and he comes up to West Texas A&M, you know, these are good schools, but they're not exactly overflowing with money. 
Then he went down to Pan Am, and it was an absolute disaster, everything from ones and losses to problems with the NCAA. And here's something a lot of people need to be making more out of. He actually got out of the business for seven years and became the general manager of a hockey team in West Texas. Wow. Now, he does that for seven years and decides he's missing college basketball too much, and he takes a job at Howard Junior College, which is about an hour and a half from Lubbock. Didn't want to move his wife and kids, so he drove an hour and a half there and an hour and a half back every day so he could be a coach. Did that for nine years. Had a lot of success, won a national championship there. And then he never still couldn't get a job on the Division One level with it, which he wanted to. And finally, Tubby Smith gave him an opportunity to be the director of basketball operations at Texas Tech. And, you know, keep in mind, basketball operations, that's a position which you're not on the floor coaching. You're doing all kinds of details. Did that for a couple of years. And then Chris got the job at Arkansas, Little Rock, and he took Mark with him out of the system. Finally, he's an assistant in college basketball. Then Chris goes back to Tech. And, of course, Mark comes with him as his right-hand man. And there are a lot of people who tell you, Mark Adams' defense is what has made Texas Tech the last six years. And that's why when Chris left, a lot of people had no reservations whatsoever about giving Mark the job. He's doing a great job. I mean, there's no question. You know, he's Somebody should be on the list for Coaches of the Year. He's doing that great a job, especially since when he got on this run where he beat Kansas, Baylor, and Oklahoma State three in a row, he didn't even have his best player, Terrence Shannon, available, right? Well, that is correct, but I'm going to tell you, that team has talent. This summer, I went and saw them work out. Mark let me into their closed practice. And I looked at their talent level, and I said, Mark, this is a team that could contend for the Big 12. They got, you got some people here. And he agreed. We got some talent. Well, of all things, in time since, he, he's added about six more good players. So from top to bottom, they do have some people. They do. They absolutely do. Um, and interesting that the keys to this kind of rebirth this season – um, when people had their doubts with their 13 and four, uh, four of the players in the rotation are transfers. One guy from UTEP, one from Hampton, one from Oral Roberts, and one from Winthrop. So some transfers not only came in, but he, they got acclimatized very fast to Mark Adams' system. Well, he was in junior college level for, let's see, on the JC level, he was there about 15 years, uh, uh, 14 years, so... He knows a little bit about taking newcomers and acclimating them quickly. And so, yeah, he's pretty good at that stuff. But listen, all of college basketball and college football is eventually going to become just like J.C. basketball, where you got a new roster every year, and Mark would be very suited to go ahead and deal with a situation like that. All right, no question. Texas Tech is a team to watch. They're 13-4. and four. They've got a coach that paid his dues Finally got his chance and did a great job. We all love to see that. All right, one more question because I think our time is running down. Um, Houston, we know they have a great coach too in Kelvin Sampson. Um, they lost their two top, well, two of their best players that came back from last year, Marcus Sasser and Trayman Mark. They both got injured out for the season, and yet here they are, 15-2, and two, uh, a top team ranked in the AP poll. Um, he's doing a heck of a job at Houston, isn't he? 
Well, Kelvin knows where the bodies are buried. He's got some good players. He has two kids from the Dallas area that really weren't all that highly recruited that are his leading scorers. I'm talking about Marcus Sasser and Kyler Edwards. A lot of people weren't after them, but he took them, coached them up, and now they're about as good a backcourt as there is in college basketball. Really impressive team. And next year, in a couple, we don't know when, but eventually they're going to be in the Big 12, right? Yeah, eventually they will be. They sure will, which is one of the reasons the Big 12 is crowing that we're going to have the best basketball conference in the country. Well, listen, you did a fabulous job telling us about Texas basketball, Kevin Long. I greatly appreciate it. Um, let's keep talking and sharing thoughts on Twitter, and uh, maybe you can keep advising me and uh, keep us up to date on all Texas college basketball issues. Okay, got to get one note in here before I'm done because you guys need to look out, be on the lookout for this. You know, USC is Baylor a top-five team. Well, here's the fact of the matter. They lost a player named Jeremy Sohan to a foot injury against TCU, and they're expecting him back. He's 6'9", and he can guard all five positions on the court, and that makes a huge difference. They've got another player named James Asinjo, who is literally lightning quick, who took a hard flaw, uh, injured his tailbone, and he's kind of recovering. He's not quite as lightning quick as he was. When they get those two guys back healthy again, they're going to be a top-five team, no doubt about it. Yeah, I could see Baylor back in the Final Four. It wouldn't shock me, Kevin. wouldn't shock me at all. No, not me me neither. All right, listen, great job. Thank you for calling the show, and thank you for giving me all this great information about Texas basketball. You call us anytime you want. Will do. All right, thanks so much. Is this not Kenny from Rye, Kenny from Chicago on the line? All right, Kenny, are you there? I am, James. I am, and it is Chicago this week. Like your first guest there from Sports Illustrated. Yes, you're both there. Uh, that's uh, interesting, and um, he was awfully impressive, Kevin Sweeney, huh? Yeah, he's interesting. He's my son's class in Northwestern, Grant, when he mentioned he graduated last June and then took a role at uh, Sports Illustrated since uh, right thereafter. But obviously, a uh, passion for college basketball, since he mentioned he was following and since he was 16. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, yes, that was very impressive, and I lo- enjoyed Kevin Long. Uh, telling us a little about Texas basketball. we got to keep our show, Kenny from Rye, uh, covering teams all over the country, and there really is a lot of excitement with college basketball in the state of Texas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you mentioned, and you know, it shouldn't go unnoticed, they're 15-2 and two again this year so far, and 4-0 and oh in the AAC is Houston again. And you know, they've had a couple injuries, I know, here and there. But, uh, I, again, you know, they were Final Four last year. They had you know, people drafted in the first round or, or early in the second round. Uh, you know, we, we, we talk about Texas as uh, just the University of Texas, but you know, most recently it's been the University of Utah. All right, so Kenny from Rye, hang on during the commercial break, and we'll keep chatting when we come back, okay? Good. All right, folks, we're going to our commercial break, and then we'll be right back. Please hold on, and we'll keep chatting about college basketball. Kenny from Chicago, normally Kenny from Rye. Are you there still on the line? I am, James. Did you know that this crazy Saturday, nine teams ranked in the top 25 lost on the same day? I'm going to read the list, and I'm going to save the last one for your commentary. Ready? USC lost to Oregon. LSU lost to Arkansas. Texas lost to Iowa State. Tennessee lost to Kentucky. 
Uh, Texas Tech lost to Kansas State. Seton Hall lost to Marquette. Alabama lost to Mississippi State. Baylor lost to Oklahoma State. And, and the final one, I want your thoughts because your son attended that school. Michigan State lost to Northwestern. Tell us about that game. Yeah, I know. Also, your first guess. I'm surprised you didn't bring that up, considering, as you say, it was uh, nine of the top 20 and four of the top 12 losing this week. And I know uh, Rothstein's out there saying, you know, screaming parody. But yeah, I saw the North. I saw. I should say I didn't see all of it, but I saw good parts of the Northwestern Michigan State game. And you know, Northwestern came in with better expectations than they have in the last couple of years, and they're finally getting on track with some good players. And I think also taking advantage of the transfer portal as well. Um, from a perspective of it, it was at home at Northwestern, which was which, which nice, and they had a decent little crowd there in particular. And uh, you know, I, again, you know, the Big Ten, as you say, it's a battle every every game. I, there hasn't been anybody. I don't think, I mean, you know, we talk about Illinois and, 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 and others, but has jumped out to a commanding lead, if you want to say. So, you know, Northwestern sits, you know, kind of in the top third of the pack, and I think it was a good win for them, but not, maybe not as surprising as a lot of, a lot of people thought. And Michigan State always gets a good ranking, obviously, with Izzo and the rest of the team. What I was surprised was that Northwestern beat Michigan State at home. Michigan State doesn't lose many games in their building, and Northwestern went in there and won, and that was pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, to go on the road in the Big Ten anywhere with the crowd is, is enormously, you know, it, it, it matters, as you say, because of the fact is that the crowds they draw, in particular with the size of their arenas. I do want to say that um, USC, who had been so hot, they were unbeaten. They lost twice this week to Stanford, Oregon. So we're, uh, unfortunately, as you know, we have TJ from L.A. who calls in, uh, he was so excited when he called last Monday. I felt a little bad when USC then lost two games after that. Yeah, I know. He came in on a hot spot. I think they were ranked three or four at the time with TR from L.A. there. And uh, obviously excited about that. And then they turn around and lose two. So, again, kind of the same situation as you were talking about. A lot of parity. Um, and, you know, the Pac-12 is, is competitive. And as you say, Oregon, which was a team that a lot of people, as we had mentioned in the beginning of the year, had been expected to do really, really well. And, you know, maybe they're coming into their own now with, you know, getting their, getting their transfers and the new players and the rest working together. I agree. All right. Um, so what's going on with Providence? You didn't mention Providence this week. Anything going on with Providence? They what, shut no, down? No, they, they, they were shut down, and they were one of the few teams that got shut down. I understand it was an outbreak that started with a couple of guys who went out, and then it just spread wildly as it, as it does, and then they just shut it down. And I think they were going to try and squeeze into tomorrow's game, but it doesn't look like they had they could get seven or eight players together. So they pushed it off to Thursday at Georgetown. All right, Kenny from Chicago, thank you for your update. And we got one more call, so let me squeeze that in. All right, James, have a great evening. You too. Thanks so much, Kenny from Chicago. All right, last but not least, we have our friend from the Big Big East blog, our Big East expert, Patrick Madden. Patrick, are you there? Yes, I am, Jim. So have you recovered from Saturday? I know that your team, Seton Hall, uh, went on the road and played pretty well, uh, but they lost on a ridiculous call by the referees with a few seconds to go in the game that put Mar a Marquette on the line to shoot free throws to win the game. Uh, how you feeling? Well, I, you can look at it sort of two different ways. You can say, yeah, the call was atrocious, and you know they had no, you know, they had no business losing the game that way. On the other hand, one axiom that I sort of think about in games like this is don't put yourself in a position where you can lose a game on a bad call like that. You know, Seton Hall doesn't turn the ball over as much as they did during the game. 
Maybe they don't miss a few foul shots along the way, and there they have like a three- or four-point lead going into that last possession against Marquette, and then you don't let a flukish play like that you know, cause you to go to overtime or cause you to lose that game. So there's two ways to look at it. It was an awful call, but you, know, you, you, you can't put yourself in that position to lose games like that. No question. I say that to people all the time when they complain about a, a final call at the end of a game because you had an entire, in basketball, you had 40 minutes to win the game. Um, so how do you feel about Seton Hall this season? Uh, you know, let's see what happens. They got, they got a home-and-home home with St. John's coming up next week. They play at Madison Square Garden on Saturday night or Saturday afternoon. And then on Monday, uh, they go to Walsh Gym, where they haven't played a Big East game in 37 years. Uh, to play St. John's because they're making up a game that got lost because of both teams' COVID pauses uh, the last week of December. So, uh, big, you know, Seton Hall's got to take care of business over the next few weeks to put themselves back in a position where they're, you know, sort of in the top four of the Big East, getting themselves ready for the Big East tournament as well as looking for a seed uh, in the NCAAs. I agree. And I thought that St. John's took a step forward. I'm not going to say a giant step, but a step forward in their win against Georgetown. Georgetown's probably the worst team in the Big East, but still I thought that they played well. It seems like the transfers are kind of getting more adapted to Coach Anderson's system. So I think those Seton Hall-St. John's games could be excellent. Yes, I think that they should be competitive. Uh, You know, a good test for both teams. You know, can St. John's beat an elite opponent? They've beaten, yes, they've beaten Nepal, they've beaten Georgetown, but they've got to beat somebody who's on the top level to get their season sort of back on track. Big game for them on Wednesday at Creighton. Uh, and we know that Creighton's uh, been off to a better start than a lot of people are expecting. And Omaha's a tough place to win for anybody. So I big agree for them. I agree. As I just said, I watched the St. John's Georgetown game. I thought they played better. I was more impressed with the team than I had been earlier in the season. But to go out to Creighton is never easy. No, it's not. So it will be interesting to see what you know how Anderson uh, defends against an, ex- uh, an explosive offense for Creighton. You know they they Creighton you know is coming off a tough loss to Xavier on Saturday, but they they somehow play much better out in their home building than they do when they go on the road. So that's something that St. John's has to think about uh, as they go out to the Midwest. I agree. Uh, Going to be a tough game for St. John's. All right, listen, we got one more call to squeeze in. So Patrick, thank you so much for giving us our Big East update. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. All right, folks, we have John from Portchester. Uh, let's go to the phone line. Uh, John from Portchester, are you there? Jim, hi. Good evening. Great show. Thanks so much for calling. A uh, couple of things. Uh, I was at both games this weekend, uh, the Iona games, and uh, great job of the crowd being there on Friday. I'll, I'll admit, I, I mean, I know it's the big rivalry with Manhattan, but I was really surprised at the, uh, the fact that they pretty much packed it in uh, that game and the fact that they got the word out and uh, that the uh, people and the uh, students who are still away or are coming back, I guess, I guess today or over the weekend, came out and supported. So that was really, really uh, Great good crowd. to see. Great yeah, crowd. Absolutely. I agree. And, 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 and obviously a, a, a drop-off on Sunday, which you expected because it's A, Niagara, B, there's three uh, football games going on. So right. tough, tough matchup. But I, I want to echo your words. Too bad about tomorrow's game being on uh, the streaming instead of uh, the regular uh, TV because that that makes a big difference. I I can't stand having to, you know, sometimes having uh, problems with my laptop and it's buffering and all that. It's just so much better when it's on uh, 
when it's on uh, cable TV. Sure. And listen, I'm so curious about this Monmouth game tomorrow because I really was impressed from what I've seen. A few times I saw Monmouth when they got off to that really good start. Uh, I think they were 10 and 2. I'm really not quite sure how they lost those three games in a row. It seems like an oddity, doesn't it? Yeah, I was uh, I was telling that to a friend of mine. I said I'm scratching my head over this, and then when I saw that Maris score, I'm like, holy cow! I mean, I, I had to look twice to make sure that I saw the the difference in points. That was unbelievable. Now Maris, obviously, they they probably should have beat Iona both those times, or or, or certainly could have. So the fact that they they've been struggling to close out games, and here they go out blow out Mammoth. So. Uh, Go figure. But, yeah, I, you figured Mamet's got to be kind of angry, and uh, this is going to be a really big test for uh, for the Gales tomorrow night. I mean, if you're a Mammoth, and not only did you lose three in a row, but you laid a giant egg against Marist and lost 84-48, to 48, is there a better way to get your season back on track than beating Iona tomorrow night at home? Exactly, exactly. Boy, and I'll tell you, I'm sure you, King Rice is uh, speaking those words right now. So, uh, yeah, they, that, that would, that would ease a lot of the pain that they're feeling right now. So it's a, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a tough matchup for Iona. I gotta figure, I gotta figure. I'm a little concerned about the game because as, as impressed as I am with Coach Patino and this team, and I, they certainly have improved from the beginning of the season, they haven't played great on the road. Right. Right, exactly, and uh, and Mammoth again. You know which which Mammoth is going to show up? Uh, the ones that for uh, the first ten games or the last three? So it's 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 a tough one. I mean, every, a lot of people. Uh, the goal of being undefeated in the MAC, boy, wouldn't that be incredible? I, I I'm I'm skeptical over that. I'll admit that I'm skeptical. But but it'd be it'd be a great way uh, for for the season to go. I agree, John. Thank you so much for the call. And both you and I agree. We're not sure what's going to happen tomorrow night, but it should. Should be a great game between Iona and Mama. I hear you, Jim. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much. All right, great call. Bye. All right, all the callers were fabulous. Thank you for being part of the show. Bye-bye, everybody. See you next week on College Hoops Chat.